we believe it's okay to ask the tough questions about faith and life. Actually, it's a really good thing to ask hard questions. So today, we're going to walk around a few local places to find out exactly what people want to know about God and Christianity. Yep. All month long in sermons and in podcasts, we're exploring some of the great questions a lot of us are asking about faith and God. So if you had one question, what would you ask God? Would it be what the purpose of life is? I don't know, but let's go around the street and ask folks what they would ask God. I think I'd ask him how people can call themselves Christians and be so un-Christ-like. Um, probably, uh, why, like, no matter what we do, why does he always, like, stay by our side and stick up for us or come back with us? I think my question would be, why were we made the way we were made? I would ask him, why don't animals talk? Do you Um, what is my purpose on Earth? Why is there evil on Earth? I'd probably ask God, why didn't you take my mother from me so soon? Well, matter of fact, why is there more love being spread around the world? Why there isn't more love being yeah, spread around the world? Yeah, solid, okay. What's the real reason for us to be here? What's our real purpose for being here? Hmm. How do you deal with death? And that's to the, to, that's to the pastor, like, how do you cope with death? How would you cope with death? Okay. Can you yell it, yell it for us? No, I said if I had a question God, why can't I live to be 150? It still looks like this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey, that works fun. Hey, everybody. Good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Uh, so glad that you're here. Uh, welcome those of you who are worshiping over in East Hall and those of you just tuning in. Uh, welcome. We start a new series this weekend. It's going to take four weeks. We're calling it uh, That's a Great Question because we want to be the kind of church that welcomes questions, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or whether you are just uh, trying to figure it out and exploring Christianity. In fact, uh, we have two uh, kind of evenings planned for you to ask questions uh, coming up next Sunday night, May 5th. We have an evening set aside for uh, those people, your friends who are skeptics or who are trying to, uh, to think about Christianity, explore it, or if you are one of those people that's been coming for a while and you're still trying to ask questions about uh, what Jesus is all about, then this evening is for you. It's called Considering Christianity. Uh, I will be there along with some other people to do our best at answering any questions you might have. Then two weeks later, on May 19th, we're going to have another uh, evening that'll be an open forum, open to everybody, uh, because we feel like uh, there are some questions that might get stirred up because of this series that you might have uh, about the Bible or about faith or about Christianity. So we're going to have that evening as well. So hope to see you at one of those two evenings. All right. Uh, the question that we are going to deal with today is a very personal question. The question if, is, if God is good, why is my life full of pain and suffering? And before I uh, start to try to answer that question, I want to just uh, recognize that if this is one of the questions that you voted on, there's probably a reason you voted on this question. 
And we want to recognize your pain and your uh, suffering. And we want to say we're sorry for the pain you're in or the pain that you've gone through that made you want to know the answer to this question. And while I'm going to try to answer this question conceptually, uh, I want you to know we don't in any way want to trivialize what you're going through right now. All right? Let me go ahead and pray then, and we'll get started. Father in heaven, we uh, come to you, and I am grateful that you uh, allow us to ask a question like this, but this kind of question, you know, comes from the depth of our souls, and there are people here who are very raw probably right now because of something that's happened or something that's happening, and I pray for them in particular. I pray that these next 30 minutes or so will bring them some uh, comfort and some strength and uh, that you will minister to them in a way that only you can. Uh, Help us as we try to answer this question for your name's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, this question, the question of suffering, uh, is a question that almost everyone uh, asks at some point in their life. It's actually the question I thought would be the number one question uh, that gathered the most votes, but it wasn't. Uh, It actually came in at number three. But I want you to know that this subject is a subject that is very concerning to God, and this question is a question that God invites us to ask. And I base that on the book of Job. I don't know how much you know about Job. Job is a book that's right in the middle of the Bible. Uh, The first two chapters of Job introduce us to him as a very, very good person. It's kind of a study in extremes. Job is, a, is a, an amazing guy, and then he goes through tremendous suffering. He loses everything, and all that happens in the first two chapters. And then from chapters 3 to chapter 37 is this dialogue between Job and his friends where they try to figure out why, if God is good, why this has happened to Job. It's the very question we're asking today. And one of the interesting things about the book of Job is that, you know, there are 66 different books in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and they're written over a long period of time, like 1,500 years, and they all have the single overarching theme, and the single overarching theme of the Bible is who God is, who we are, what's gone wrong with the world and with us, and what God plans to do to restore the world and to restore us. And right in the middle of that is Job. But most theologians believe that Job was the very first book written in the Bible, which means that God chose suffering and pain to be the very first kind of environment that he introduces who he is and who we are and what he plans to do. And so I guess the, the point I'm making is this, that you cannot avoid pain and suffering in this life, but God doesn't avoid it either. The Bible doesn't avoid it either, all right? If you have uh, not heard me speak very often, I usually have three points, and by usually, I mean always have three points. And I tell you the points up front so that you know where we're going, and these are my three points today as we try to ask this question. If God is good, why is my life full of pain and suffering? And the first point is why that's a good question. The second point is why answers don't work. And the third point is why a person does. Why it's a good question, 
why answers don't work, but why a, question, why a person does. All right? First, why it's a good question. You know, I almost changed that. I could have shuffled that around and said why is a good question. Because almost everybody, when they go through pain and suffering, they are asking the question, why? Now, I want to differentiate between two types of suffering right off the bat. There is meaningful suffering, suffering that seems like it makes sense to us, and then there's meaningless suffering, suffering that doesn't seem like it makes sense. Meaningful suffering is, uh, not, does not usually make us question the existence of God or whether God is good at his core. Meaningless suffering does that. And when I say meaningful suffering, this is what I mean. It's what coaches mean when they say no pain, no gain. Right? It's, if you've ever tried to get in shape, if you've ever tried to build muscle, if you've ever tried to lose weight, if you've ever gotten a, an advanced degree, if you've ever tried to make partner, if you've ever had or been raising children, you know that there's a certain amount of discomfort we will go through, a certain amount of pain that we'll go through as we see a goal that we want to achieve. And that's meaningful suffering. We don't mind that pain nearly as much. Now, there's other meaningful pain that is more difficult. It's pain that we don't choose, but it still makes sense. There's kind of a cause and effect that makes sense to us. For instance, if you smoke three packs a day for 30 years and you get lung cancer, that's really bad. It's a terrible thing, but it, it seems like it makes sense, right? If you uh, show up late to work four days in a row and you get fired, it's a bad thing. Right? It causes pain, but at least it kind of makes sense. But there's some suffering that doesn't make sense at all, and that tears us up inside. I'll use this illustration. Our, our nation has gone through two world wars, World War I, World War II. Tremendous loss of life in both those wars. Tremendous suffering as a nation, but each one of those wars kind of pulled us together as a nation, right? World War I made sense to us. It was the war to end all wars, so everyone was in. World War II made sense. We were going to try to stop Hitler and save the free world, so both those wars made sense, and then the Vietnam War came about. And the Vietnam War was just a fraction of the loss that we experienced in World War I, World War II, just a fraction, and yet it tore our nation apart. Why? Because World War II for a lot of, or Vietnam War for a lot of people just didn't make sense. Right? And so instead of pulling us together, it tore us apart. What happened in the 60s and 70s to us as a nation happens to us individually when we go through suffering and pain that doesn't seem like it makes sense. Now, to be completely honest, this question really was given birth by Christianity. Christianity is what causes us to ask a question like this, because the question here is, if God is good, then why am I going through pain and suffering? In the ancient world, the ancient Greeks would never ask that question, because they believed that the gods, if there were gods, the gods were hostile toward them. And so whenever they went through pain and suffering, even if there wasn't a, an obvious cause and effect, it made sense to them. It, they hadn't assuaged the, the anger and the wrath of the gods, and the gods always hated them, and so they thought that would happen. Right? And there are a lot of religions that are out there right now that believe the same thing. But Christianity came along and said, no, 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 the true God, 
the one true God in the Bible loves you. The one true God in the Bible is good at his core. And people would grab onto that and we'd say, that's wonderful news that God loves us, that God is good at his core, that he's not hostile, that he's not evil, that he wants good for us. But then we go through something that doesn't seem like it makes sense that rips our heart out. And we end up saying, what's going on? I thought you told me that God was good. I thought you told me that God loves me. And if he loves me and he's good, then why am I going through this? There's a couple of verses in uh, Psalm 62. That's what it says. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. When I first read that and memorized it, it was in a different version, and it said this, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. When I was 29 years old, and my 20-year-old brother was living with us for the summer, and he was killed on a motorcycle while riding with a 14-year-old family friend named Tim Jones, and Tim was also killed. I remember going to this verse, just saying, wait, how can it be? Because God, if you are strong, if you are powerful, you would want this not to happen. You, would, you, would, you could keep this from happening. And if you are loving, then you would want to keep this from happening. But this happened. I remember thinking then, God, you are either loving and not strong, or you are strong and not loving. But I could not hold both the power of God and the love of God in the same hand. If you are going through something right now, that could be your question. That could be your struggle. And that's why it's a good question. Because the Bible claims that God is powerful and God is loving. And when we go through pain, it makes us question one or both of those things. All right. Second point is uh, why answers don't work. And when I say answers don't work, there, there are two basic answers people give towards suffering. One is what I'll call the religious answer, and the other is what I'll call the secular answer or the non-religious answer. Now, make no mistake, everybody has to answer the question. Everybody, it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you still have to answer the question when you go through suffering, why is this happening? Right? So it's an equal opportunity uh, question. So let me start with the secular answer. This is a quote from Richard Dawkins. He wrote this in his book, River Out of Eden, A Darwinian View of Life. And this captures the secular answer to suffering. This is what he says. The total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. During the minute that it takes me to compose this sentence, thousands of animals are being eaten alive. Many others are running for their lives, whimpering with fear. Others are slowly being devoured from within by rasping parasites. Thousands of all kinds are dying of starvation, thirst, and disease. It must be so. 
If there ever is a time of plenty, this very fact will automatically lead to an increase in the population until the natural state of starvation and misery is restored. In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. It's Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins pulls no punches. He's also probably not the kind of guy you want to invite to your birthday party, right? Not a real upper. And what he says is interesting to me, and I have a few problems with it. And my first problem is if, if this is the way the universe is and the way it's been put together and suffering is always going to be a part of it, then why is it in my soul, why do I long for a world without suffering? Why do I rage against suffering? Why does it seem so unnatural to say goodbye to somebody that I love because they have died? Why? If this is just the way things are. And why is it that I try to make meaning? Why is it that every human being asks the question, why? Right? And it, because we're trying to say, listen, it matters that I'm hurting because I matter that I'm hurting, right? But Richard Dawkins says you don't matter. Nothing matters. There is no purpose, no design, just pitiless indifference. I have a problem because it doesn't seem like it makes sense to what my heart longs for, both meaning and significance, and a world without suffering. And it also doesn't offer comfort. But the last thing is, it, to me, it seems like it, it's something that people can write in a book like that, but they can't really live it out. This is what I mean. I have a friend who was meeting with a young doctor, and she was an atheist at the time, but she was trying to you know, explore Christianity, so she was meeting with my friend. And she asked him one day, she said, listen, I have, a, I have a question for you. I just had to tell a set of parents that their six-year-old just died of leukemia. How can you believe in a good God that allows stuff like that to happen? And he said to her, that's a great question. What do you believe? And she said, well, she gave a similar answer to Richard Dawkins, she said, well, I don't believe there's any meaning. I believe that we're random sets of replicating genes. I believe that there's no purpose, no design, no good, no evil, just pitiless kind of indifference. And he said, oh, okay. Is that what you told the parents? And she was kind of taken back and said, of course not. I would never tell the parents that. And he said, why not? Is that not what you really believe? So you can write it in a book, but when suffering really happens to someone you care about, you're not going to go to them with this answer when they say, why did it happen? You're not going to say, hey, listen, rasping parasites, you know, famines, this is just the way things are, no meaning, no purpose, nothing like that. So to me, the secular answer falls short in a number of ways, but the religious answer isn't much better. The religious answer is what we find in the book of Job. 
Right, Job starts out the first two chapters, introduces us to Job, says Job's a really good man, and then terrible things happen. He's completely wiped out. Then chapter 3 to chapter 37 are Job and his friends trying to ask this question. And Job's friends keep trying to get Job to, to see something that he doesn't see. They're trying to help him connect the dots. And they're saying, Job, you must have done something. Think, man, think. Right? Because God is a good God, and God is a just God, and, and you're just getting just destroyed. And so that means you must have done something horrible to deserve this, because good people get good things, and bad people get bad things, and you get what you deserve in this life. And that's the religious answer. The problem is that's not what the book of Job teaches. This is the very first book that's written in the Bible, and it starts out like this, where God says God makes his, his character uh, assumption of Job. He says, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. God says, Oh, Job's a really good guy. And then terrible things happen to him. Right? So right at the beginning, God's trying to say, no, everything's not this simple arithmetic that if you're bad, you get bad things. If you're good, you get good things. Sometimes bad things happen, and you will not know the reason. And it's not because God is mad at you. But that's so hard to root out of the human heart. Because there are some of you here today I've had things happen to you and you can't really figure out why they happened to you and you keep thinking to yourself, I must have done something. I must have done something. God must be mad at me. Hundreds of years after the book of Job, Jesus is walking with his disciples in John chapter 9 and they see a man who's born blind and we covered this a couple of weeks ago. And the disciples turn to Jesus and they say, hey Jesus, got a question. What do you do? Right? Who's, who messed up? His parents or him? Who is God mad at? Whose fault is it? Because you know, it's got to be somebody's fault. And Jesus must have just shaken his head and gone, but you guys read the book of Job? Did you read it? This is what Jesus says in John chapter 9, verse 3. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus says it's, it's not either their fault. Sometimes this kind of thing happens, and it's not because they deserve it. So, <clears throat> that brings me to the third point, which is a person. The first point is why it's a good question. The second point is why answers don't work. The third point is why a person does. When my uh, little brother was killed on the motorcycle, I was at my house, and I had an inkling that something was wrong. And then I looked out my window, and I saw a police car pull into my driveway. And if that's ever happened to you, you know how that feels and how your heart drops. And I walked out onto my front porch, and they came up. And they, after they told me that my, my brother was dead, they asked a really interesting question to me. They said, uh, is there anybody with you? Are you alone? Now, we lived in North Carolina at the time, and my wife and children were up here visiting her family, and so I was alone. 
And when I told them that I was alone, they asked the second interesting question. They said, is there someone we can call for you? Is there someone we can call for you? Because the police understood that it's not good to go through suffering alone, that you need somebody. But they also understood it couldn't just be a random person. It needed to be a person particular for me. You know, eventually when people did come over to my house, I was working at a church at the time, so a lot of the people were church people, and some of them tried to help me connect the dots, give an answer, give it meaning, and they would say, oh, you know your brother's in a better place. Or they would say, you know, uh, God's going to do good things from this. And to be honest, those answers were not helpful, even if they're true. You know, so if you have somebody who's going through deep grief, deep pain, don't go to them with an answer like that, because answers don't work. What did help me was people who would just sit with me and love me and cry with me. And the people who could identify with me, if somebody came up and they said, listen, I'm so sorry for your loss. I lost my brother too. I would look at them and say, would you, would you just sit with me for a minute? Could you sit with me? The God of the Bible is absolutely unique. No other religion in the world even remotely suggests that God is so concerned with your pain, your suffering, that he would actually endure suffering and pain himself. But Christianity says Jesus came and did just that. That Jesus came and went through pain and suffering to a degree that is even deeper than whatever you're going through. I always think that if I was sitting there after losing my brother and Job came walking up to me and said, you mind if I have a seat? I would say, absolutely. You know how this feels multiple times. Would you sit with me? The fact that Jesus can do the same is absolutely amazing. But Jesus didn't just go to the cross and die so that he could identify with you and me when we are in pain. What the Bible says is that Jesus died for us, that he endured suffering for us, that he went and paid for our sin, did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. We just got through celebrating Easter. Right and on Friday, Jesus goes to the cross, and the reason he goes to the cross is because of love. Right? This is Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Remember I told you when my, when my little brother died, the two things I could not hold in the same hand were the fact that God was powerful and God was loving. I would say you are one or the other, but you can't be both. But on Friday of Easter weekend, we celebrate Jesus who goes to the cross for us to demonstrate God's love for us. So we say, if you want to know that God loves you, look at Jesus. But on Easter weekend, we don't just stop on Friday. We don't just celebrate that Jesus died for us. We go all the way to Sunday when Jesus resurrects because he resurrects with power. And when Jesus resurrects with power, what he says to people is this, because I live, you also will live. 
because I have risen from the dead, one day you will rise from the dead. This is not all there is to you. And that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. It says, and God raised Jesus from the dead, or God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. That's what struck me. Easter weekend, God says to me, Joe, you, you struggle with whether I can be loving and powerful and hold them in the same hand. I will give them to you in the same weekend. If you want to know, to know that I love you, look at Jesus. If you want to know that I have the power to give you life, look at Jesus. And the power that Jesus has is to, to finish my story, right? to write the end of my story. You know what that means? The best stories in the world, the ones that I love, the ones that you love, always have the same pattern. One of my favorite stories, uh, books to read, the trilogy, Lord of the Rings, and I read that set every year, just as part of the stuff that I do for enjoyment. Because it's so well written, but I, I love the pattern. It starts out as everything being good in the Shire and everything, and then it goes terribly bad. There, are, there is evil, there is suffering, there is darkness, there is night. And it seems like nothing is ever going to be the same. And then the way the books end, it ends with such joy that the joy at the ending swallows up all the pain and suffering in the middle. So much so that one of the characters finally says toward the end, will all sad things come untrue? Will all sad things come untrue? The most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16. It's the the verse that people hold up at every athletic event. And John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. That God so loved you, he didn't mail you answers to why you are suffering. He sent a person. He sent a person. And I was thinking, as I look toward the rest of my life, until I take my last breath, whenever I go through pain and suffering, when I bury my parents, when I bury people that I love, when I lose friends, when I lose my own health, it's Jesus I want sitting beside me. Because Jesus can do all kinds, he can remind me that I'm not going crazy. That this cry in my heart of hearts for a world where there is no death, where there is no suffering, there is no disease, is the cry for the way things should be what I was created to have. That my soul rages against the pain and suffering of this world because it's right to rage against the pain and suffering of this world. I want Jesus sitting beside me because he can identify with my pain. He can say, I know how you feel. But I want Jesus sitting beside me because he will be able to remind me and say, Joe, if you ever doubt God loves you, look at me. And then he can say, if you ever doubt God has power, remember, I'm the one who writes the end of your story. And your story ends well. Which means that when, when the, your story is ending here, it is just beginning, and the joy you will have will swallow up all the sadness in between until all sad things come untrue. If you're going through pain and suffering and you're asking, if God is good, why am I going through this? It's a good question. It's a good question. 
Answers won't help. But a person does. You were made to have a person sit beside you. And that person is Jesus, who offers hope, who offers strength, who offers a future, who offers joy that will one day swallow up all your pain. That's Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come to you, and I am so grateful. I'm grateful that you allow us to ask this question. I'm more grateful that you, in answer to this question, you sent your son Jesus. And that through Jesus, I can be reminded that I was made for a world where there is no suffering and death, for I do not say goodbye to those I love. I can be reminded by Jesus that you do love me. I can be reminded by Jesus that you have the power to give me life and to write the end of my story. And that one day all the joy will swallow up the darkness and the grief I have felt. I pray that every person here will experience that, particularly those who are raw today, that they will be reminded of your love and your power because of Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen.